You know, final words, the last words that someone speak are usually very important, aren't they? I mean, you think about it. If there's a wife whose husband is uh, serving overseas in the military, and if she has the opportunity to speak to him on the phone, I'm sure there's going to be a conversation about the kids and the house and how's he doing and how's everything going. But I, I can guarantee you that wife, when she finds out that it's getting towards the end of that conversation, she's going to think about words that she wants to make sure. She's going to think about words that count. Amen? Words that she wants to make sure, if those are the last words she ever gets to speak, she wants to make sure her husband knows those things. I think about words whispered in the ear of a family member. If maybe, maybe some of you like us, uh, when uh, we go see family across the country and we go see them, we're there for a few days or maybe a week and we say a lot of things, we do a lot of things, have a lot of fun together. But I tell you, I start getting kind of serious those last few moments that we're, that we're together because I realize that we may not see each other for about six months or we may not see each other for about a year. And so you really think to yourself, I want to make sure I think about some things that I really want to communicate to the people that I love. Final words are usually pretty important, aren't they? Well, this weekend, we're coming down to the end of Peter's words in the book of 1 Peter. We've been doing this series called Hope in the Midst of Hardship. And we've learned a lot from the Lord. We've learned a lot about how difficult life can be. Even as a follower of Jesus, life is difficult. Amen? In fact, I would even say sometimes, especially as a follower of Jesus, because we've chosen to walk with the Lord, sometimes it can be even more difficult in some sense. We've also learned, though, that even though life is difficult, that God has given us great hope. And what an understatement that is. He has given us great hope that we have in Him. And He gives us strength for the struggles that we face. And He gives us the promise that, praise God, one day all this mess is going to be over. Amen for that. Amen. I'm glad one day. I can make it one more day knowing that it's not going to be like this forever. Praise God. He is so good to us. And today, as we wrap up this series, the Lord leads Peter to give his original audience, those original hearers of this message, and to us some final words of encouragement. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, words of encouragement for hurting people. Are you struggling here tonight? Are you hurting? If you would answer yes to that question, I believe the Lord has something to give to you tonight. I believe the Lord has a message that he wants to give to you tonight. Now, last time when we studied First Peter, we studied chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, and we talked about some of the spiritual leadership that God has placed in our lives. We talked about pastors, or we might call them elders, or we might call them overseers, whatever we call them, that God has put spiritual leadership in our lives for good reasons. But tonight we're going to pick up in verse 5 to think about these words of encouragement that Peter gives to these struggling people as they finish out, as he finishes out his message. And let's start in verse 5 there. Uh, Follow along as I read that out loud. It says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Now, after you have suffered for a little while, here's some good news. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, Strengthen 
and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, as we read those words, you may notice that it kind of seems like, if you notice there in verse 5, it kind of seems like we're jumping in the middle of a conversation. Do you remember when we started the book of First Peter that we gave you a card with, uh, with a letter in it? And really, it was the first chapter of the book of First Peter. And what we want you to realize is that many times when you're reading a book of the Bible, that's what we call them, we call them books of the Bible, but many times these books were actually what? They were letters. And I think it's important for us to realize that, I don't know if you've ever thought about it like this, but what we'll do many times on the weekend, what we're doing is we're kind of going in the middle of a letter, and we're camping out for a little bit, and we're kind of focusing on something. But really, I think it's important sometimes just to realize, let's just sit down and read the letter. Amen? If your mom, if your grandma wrote you a letter, you wouldn't dissect it and diagram it and peel it apart and look, you know all that kind of stuff. You'd just read the letter and you'd be blessed by it, wouldn't you? Now, the reason we stop and camp out in God's letter is because God's letter has a lot of stuff in it, a lot of good stuff, and we don't want to miss one drop of what God has to say. Amen? So that's what we're doing here. We're kind of jumping in the middle of a wrap-up to a letter here. But I don't want us to lose that perspective that we're reading the closing of a letter. And apparently, as Peter is closing out that letter, he has something to say to some younger people, which leads us to the first encouragement I want us to notice here in his wrap-up. First of all, he says this, In the midst of your struggle, when you're going through hard times in your life... Now listen, what Peter, I believe what he's doing is, he's saying, listen, we've talked about a lot of things. We've acknowledged that life is difficult. I've got a few final things that I want to say to you that are very important. As I wrap up this message to you, first of all, he says, when you're going through difficulty, don't forget to stay humble. What does he mean by that? He says in verse 5, he says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And then he says, really, all of you need to be humble towards one another because he says God's opposed to proud people, but he gives a lot of grace, praise his name, to humble people. Okay, the first thing I think the Lord is saying in these verses is in just relationship to one another, don't turn on other people. And especially, I think he's saying, uh, especially those people, the people of God, your church family, when you're going through difficult, don't turn on one another. Now, what do I mean by that? He says, okay, I talk to the elders, I talk to those pastors, those spiritual leaders, people that God has identified as leaders in your midst, but now I want to speak to the ones, and there's some uh, difference of opinion about who he's speaking to here in verse 5, but I believe what he's saying is all the others in the congregation, I want to speak to the ones that those elders are leading. He says, be submissive to those leaders. Follow their lead, respond to their leadership, don't fight them. Now, I want to kind of paraphrase what I think Peter's basically saying. Last week, we talked about how he spoke to the leaders. This time, he's sort of speaking to those, the rest of the congregation. In the midst of difficulty, is it not true that sometimes leaders tighten up on the ones that they lead? Isn't that true? In the midst of difficulty, isn't it true that those who are following their lead sometimes bow up? Isn't that true? When we're going through difficulty, don't we sort of start fighting each other, right? And so I think that's what Peter's saying is, as you are going through challenges in your life, this is the point. Don't turn against one another. You ever found that to happen in your family? Hey, wait just a minute. I'm not the problem. You're not the problem. This thing's the problem. Let's work together, not against each other. Okay, I think that's exactly what Peter is saying. He says, in fact, all of you, I'm talking to those spiritual leaders, I'm talking to the rest of the church family, all of you clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. Now, some people don't like that word humility. As Americans, we don't typically like humility. 
we kind of like a little bit more of assertiveness, don't we? That's kind of how we we've kind of we've kind of are wired that way many times, and we struggle with humility. Humility doesn't mean thinking lowly of yourself. Humility means thinking highly, more highly of others. Did you hear that? So humility is not diminishing yourself, but it's lifting up your viewpoint of other people. And here, the Apostle Peter says, clothe yourself with that. Isn't that an image? Okay, now when I'm thinking about, and how many of us in this room are trying to figure out what God wants us to do with our life, okay? When I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do in my life, guess what? Clothing yourself with something is pretty big, isn't it? Clothing yourself sounds like you're going to wrap yourself in something. This is something that's going to go all over you. It's going to identify you. You're going to outfit yourself with it. You're going to wear it. So that's a pretty obvious picture, isn't it? Clothe yourself in humility says to us, as a church family, that we ought to really be known for being what? For being humble. But actually, the word that he used was even more picturesque to them. The word that he uses for clothe yourself was actually a specific word that actually meant wrap yourself or tie yourself up with a servant's apron. Wow, that's specific, isn't it? He didn't just say, put on some clothes of humility. He said, I want, to, I want you to put on the kind of clothes that a servant would put on. And I'm pretty sure when they heard those words, they thought of Jesus when he did what? Anybody remember what he did? When he washed the disciples' feet? Okay. And he put on an apron, he put on a towel, and he washed the feet of those disciples. So he's saying when times get tough, don't get bitter. Don't turn on each other. Be humble. Why? Why is it so important? Because God fights against proud people. Okay? I don't want to be in a position where God is fighting against me. Amen? (laughs) God fights against pride, but he gives grace. He gives great things that we don't deserve to humble people. So don't fight against one another. But then he also says... Be humble and don't try to make it in your life without God. He says in verse 6, he says, Therefore, in light of the fact that God gives grace, he gives help, he gives a lot of slack to humble people, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now, guys, I want to clarify something that I find is a great misunderstanding among people when we're trying to think about God. Many people, the more and more I talk to people, the more and more I try to help people uh, in their relationship with God, the more I'm realizing that many of us have in our minds that God expects us to handle our problems ourselves. By the way, this is not in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. You know, there's these statements that float around. Now, understand the principle. The principle is we should not be lazy, right? The principle is that we should be uh, engaged in some productive, fruitful activity. That's absolutely true. But the Bible does not teach that, listen, you're on your own, and you're you're, you're having to prove yourself, and maybe if if you show you've got it, maybe God will smile at you. That is not what the Bible teaches. And many churches have taught that, and many people have been led to believe that. But did you know that actually trying to handle your problem yourself is actually a form of what? Pride. You know, I don't think any of us meant to do that, did we? I don't think we, we meant to be proud. In fact, you probably meant well by that. You're like, God, I don't want to bother you, or I know you got a lot of things going on, or, or Lord, I know I've got long ways to get to earn your favor. And God says, no, listen, listen, don't, don't be so proud as to think that you can do this on your own. You cannot handle the problems, the struggles in your life without me, without my word, and without my people. 
So he says, listen, when you're going through tough times, don't buy that lie that, boy, I just got to kind of grin and bear it. I just kind of pull myself up by my bootstraps and just do the best I can, and maybe I'll make God happy. No, the Bible says that ought to be the time when you're struggling that you do what? You run to God, and you follow his mercy, and you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time, he's going to lift you up. Amen? He says, God blesses humble people. Then he says to cast all of our cares and our worries and our anxieties on him. That's actually a quote from Psalm 55, verse 22, which, by the way, I just want to remind you, we've said all throughout the book of Peter that probably the audience that Peter was originally writing to was a highly Jewish audience. And they had a highly Jewish background because we see hints throughout this book of things like that. Well, here he's quoting the Old Testament again in Psalm 55, 22. It talks about that. And the word that's used here is actually when it says cast your burdens on the Lord, the word is actually throw them. And actually the picture that this word is used for is kind of like, uh, in fact, I was thinking about Lindsay, my, my daughter Lindsay, many of you know, she loves horses, okay? And I went to her horseback riding lesson this week, and I saw her and the other lady, they, they took this big saddle, and they kind of, you know, both of them were kind of small, and I said, hey, can I help you with that? And no, no, we got this. And they threw it up on this horse, all right, this big heavy saddle. Okay, well, that's actually the, exactly the picture here. It's saying, cast your burdens on the Lord. Throw them up there. Guess what? He's got big shoulders, amen? amen. Throw. You ever feel like throwing something? <laughs> okay, no, don't tell me if you did. Okay, no testimonies. All right, sometimes we feel like throwing something. What he says is, throw your burdens on the Lord. Just throw them up there because he's got big shoulders. And by the way, you can do that with some confidence. He cares for you. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 139, verses 16 through 17, that God saw you when you were in your mother's womb, and your days were numbered. God knew your story. He is so intimately acquainted. Friends, it is absolutely unbelievable. There are almost 7 billion people in the world. Why on earth would God pay attention to me, amen, even before I was born? Did you know the Bible uh, indicates in Psalm 56, verse 8, that God is keeping up with every tear that you cry? We sit in this room tonight, and we're all trying to be strong, and we're all trying to you know, have a good face. But you know what? Some of us have cried some tears this week, haven't we? You know, that was just between you and God. But you want to know something? It was between you and God because he was paying attention. The Bible says that he knows, Matthew chapter 10, verse 30 says, he knows the number of hairs that are on your head. And that's harder for some than others. But, but he, knows every, he, he knows every hair. I've got all mine that are just turning colors. He knows every gray hair. He cares so much. Like somebody told me this week, I was talking to somebody about their relationship with the Lord. They said, you know what? I came to the point in my life of realizing that if I had been the only one that needed a Savior... He would have given his life for me. I said, wow, that was an awesome statement for someone to make. They realized that God cared. They, there was a time in their life where they wondered if God cared, but they came to a point of realizing that, that is his great love for them, that even if I had been the only person in the world that needed a Savior, that God would have given his son for me. It's amazing, isn't it? Friends, the Bible says when you're going through difficulty, isn't it hard not to get bitter? Isn't it hard not to tighten up? Isn't it hard not to start kind of get going against each other? Isn't it hard not to start ignoring God and trying to do it on your own? The Bible says stay humble. In the midst of your difficulty, be humble. But secondly, he says you need to be ready. In verse 8, he says this. 
He says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, I realize that in the United States, we are way too intellectual to believe in a devil. We're just too smart for that, aren't we? I mean, we know that, bless their heart, people back during ancient times, they had to have a way to explain things, and, and so they just were doing their best to explain things, and so they just sort of explain things, and that's why the Bible calls it the devil. We're, we're, we're too smart to believe that, right? <laughs> but, but let me think, let's think about it for just a moment. Most people believe in spiritual beings, don't we? Most people believe there's a spiritual dimension. And with all the bad things that go on in the world, is it so far-fetched that there would be some bad ones? There'd be some bad spiritual beings who are trying to do bad things. Is that such a stretch? And is it such a stretch that if there are a lot of bad spiritual beings who are trying to do bad things, is it such a stretch that they'd have a leader? That there was a ringleader who was leading their efforts? And by the way, whether we want to believe it or not, the Bible says there is one. There is a devil. And maybe that's why we struggle with it, because the idea of devil, maybe that sounds sort of cartoonish or whatever. Maybe we should think about it really. The Bible, the Bible does describe him as the devil, but you know what? It calls him the slanderer. It calls him the accuser of the brethren, okay? He is our adversary. He hates us because he hates God. And if there is a devil, and the Bible says there is, wouldn't it be a great plot of his to make us believe that he doesn't even exist? Wouldn't that be pretty smart? If I can convince them that their enemy doesn't exist, wouldn't that put us at a great personal risk? Wouldn't that make us very vulnerable? Now, let me share, share here with you what the Bible says he's like. The Bible says he is our adversary. He's our opposer. The word that's used here is like somebody who is against you in a court case. Okay, He is constantly seeking to make a case against you. And the Bible says he's like a roaring lion. He is angry, he is vicious, he is intent on bringing us harm. And in fact, the Bible says he is going about, he's roaming about, seeking intently, looking intently for someone to devour. Okay, if this is just a cartoon, then I'm not very scared. Amen? But if this is for real, if there is an enemy out there that wants to chew up and spit out me and my family... I need to be paying attention to that, amen? I mean, let's think about it for just a moment. If you knew that someone had a contract on your life, would you live your life differently? Duh. Right? I mean, I wouldn't be standing in front of that window. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, can somebody could put up a, a blockage there or something, or could we make it bullet? You understand what I'm saying? If somebody had a contract on my life, you would always be watching for that enemy to attack, and you would probably do everything you could to keep that enemy from hurting you and your family. And that's what the Lord says to us. He says, listen, you need to realize something. You have problems. You have lots of different difficulties. And some of those things are just things that are happening because of, of the circumstances of life or what choices other people made or because we live in a fallen world. Some of those things are just things we're going to have to go through. We've talked about those things. But he says, listen, don't make yourself vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Be ready. Many Christians are asleep across this world. He says, be alert. Be sober. Be sober. Be paying attention. 
Let me give you a couple of ways you can be ready for the attacks of the enemy. Write these down. First of all, the best way you can be ready is by having a personal relationship with the Lord. Okay, friends, listen. The Bible says the enemy is no match for God, but he's a lot bigger than me, okay? So I need God to take care of me, amen? Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. It says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Boom, I just heard some thunder strike, amen? If God is for us, who could possibly, no matter who you want to name, who could be against us? The first thing you need is to be connected personally with Almighty God because you'll be safe in His arms. Secondly is to stay in close fellowship with Him. The Bible challenges us as Christians to walk closely with the Lord. He says in Galatians 5 verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Okay, having that personal connection with God makes me ready and equipped for the enemy because ultimately the enemy has lost the war in my life. Okay, if God is on the throne, nobody's kicking him off. Amen? But what we're talking about here in the second point is I need to stay in close fellowship with him. I need to be walking with him because even though the enemy's lost the war, he can win a lot of battles from here to the end. Right? And so his goal... Okay, he's lost your eternity. If you've given your life to Christ, congratulations. You're going to heaven. You're, you're, you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're forgiven. You're a child of God. Ultimately, the enemy can never dethrone God from your life. He can cause a lot of problems between now and the end of your life, can he? The Bible says, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And that's actually just the, that's the ammunition that the enemy uses. Read James chapter 1. It, it talks about temptation. The enemy uses things because we give him a lot to work with. You've heard me say before, if you bake a batch of chocolate chip cookies, if I don't like chocolate chip cookies, that's not tempting to me, Right? So the enemy can present you with all kinds of opportunities, but if you're staying close to the Lord and you don't desire those things, then it's not going to be tempting for you and you're not going to be led astray. We give him a lot to work with. Just stay close to the Lord. God sees more than we see. He can do more than we can do. He sees the landmines. If you'll be sensitive to his spirit, he'll protect you. Thirdly, you need a support team. The Bible says that God works through other people. So if you want God, you need to get close to his people. Let me read to you a verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses uh, 23 through 25. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's an encouragement to stay close to God. And then immediately after that, it says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Bible says that there will be a habit among some who call themselves Christians that I don't need church, or I don't need to get to know y'all, or I don't need to be involved with y'all, and y'all don't need to be involved in my life. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches if you are a child of God, you are a part of the body of Christ, and it's weird for body parts to be just kind of laying around all over the place. The body, I don't mean to be gruesome, but the body needs to be together and working. Amen? You're going to feel like a weird ear just laying on the table. You need to be connected with the body. That's one of God's protections for our life. He says, and all the more. I, I, I'm, I'm not getting to a place where I don't need y'all as much because I've grown. 
<laughs> I hadn't hit that point yet, have you? I need you more and more as this world, as the end of this world, as the challenges and difficulty of life, and all the more as we see the day of Christ drawing near. So he says, be humble. Stay close to one another. Stay close to the Lord. He says, be ready. Watch out for the attacks of the enemy. And number three, he tells them to be strong. The next verse in verse 9 says this. He says, resist, but resist him. He's, he's continuing that thought about the enemy. Resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. God's encouragement to us today is even though we face challenges in this life, stay strong. Now, before we talk about this more, I want to say something about that dealing with the enemy part. Sometimes I hear people talking about binding the enemy or rebuking the devil and things like that. And I think, again, I understand the intention of that. The intention of that is our God is greater. Amen? Our God is greater. And we do have authority in his name. But the Bible indicates in Jude chapter 9, there's only one chapter in Jude, so it's all just verses. Jude chapter, Jude verse 9, it says that even one of the most powerful angels is careful about dealing with the enemy. And I believe many Christians are getting kind of foolish and naive in talking to the devil. Okay, here's my deal. I just want to know where Jesus is. I'm with him. Amen? I'll talk to him, and I'll let him take care of everything I need taken care of. Amen? Let's be very careful about that. We can live in authority, but let's not be foolish and naive. So God's word here says, stay strong, stay firm in your faith. And somebody says, well, how? How do I do that? Peter says, one way you'll stay strong is knowing that you are not alone. There are people all over the world who are loving Jesus through trials. And I believe God's saying, be inspired, be strengthened, by imitating and following their example. This past week, I was at a conference, and there were people that love God and that serve Him from all across the state of New York. And I got to kind of spend some time with some of them and go out to lunch with them and just hear their heart and hear what they're doing for God. You know what? God just spoke to my heart. It's so encouraging to meet other people who love God, amen, and who are serving God all over the world. And as I was just talking to them, the Lord, the Lord spoke to me. You know what, Robbie? You're not the only one who has it hard. God ever said that to you? You thought you were the only one that had it hard in life. That's not true. In fact, I've discovered that there are a lot of people who have it a lot harder than me. And that makes me sad for them, but, but in some sense it encourages me that, that I don't have the weight of the world. It's not like Robbie and his life is just like the worst possible scenario. And those people, even when they have things that I would say, oh, wow, I don't have it that bad, they still have joy. They still have peace. They're still loving God and trusting Him and serving Him. And they inspire me and they remind me to not lose my focus. Hey, guess what? One day, it's so awesome being in a conference like that because you kind of get a glimpse of heaven. There are some really amazing people who have lived on this planet. They have loved God. They have trusted Him. They have served Him in situations that I probably would have given up long ago. I admire them. And that gives me strength today to think about, you know what? I want to be like them, amen? I, I, I want to have the courage. I want to have the faith. I want to have the trust in God that they have. So Peter says, stay strong, Fred. You are not alone. You are a part. Hebrews chapter 11 and 12 gives us a list of people throughout history that have trusted God. Even they lost their life. They trusted him that long. They trusted him till the end, to the point of losing their life. 
It says you are a part of a long line. You've got this great cloud, this great group of witnesses, and you are, you're kind of following along. Isn't that kind of cool to think about? That there have been people throughout history that have been following God, and guess what? This is our generation. This is our time. I'd like to know that 30, 50, 100 years from now, if Jesus waits to come back, that people can, come, can look back and say, wow, I want to trust God like they did. Amen? I want to trust God like, like Robbie Langford did. I want to trust God like New Hope did back in, in, in 2011, 2012. So be inspired, he says, by other people who have trusted God and be strong with that realization. Then that hints at the last thing that I want to bring out in these verses. In verses 10 through 11, he tells, he says, listen, I want to encourage you. We've talked about a lot of things. Life is difficult. Stay humble. Don't turn on each other. Don't turn on God. <clears throat> he says, stay ready. You got an enemy. You need to stay focused. Don't get knocked off your base. Keep your, keep your head on straight. He says, be strong. Be encouraged. There are other people that are doing the same thing you're doing. You're on the right track. You're on the right path. And lastly, he tells them to be confident. Look at verse uh, 11, 10 and 11. He says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, I love that. (laughs) He's not going to send a representative. He himself, wow, will perfect, confirm, strengthen and establish you. He says, here's what God's going to do. First of all, it's just going to be a little while. Isn't that good news? You thought your problem was going to be like, it seems like like forever, like my whole life. That's a long time, isn't it? But in eternity, isn't this good news? I can just begin to get a picture of this. In eternity, My struggle will be a faded memory, if that. (laughs) And only that if it will bring God glory. Remember no more tears? A distant memory. Have you ever had a hard time but then came out of it into better days and you almost forgot about the hard time? Someone's like, no, I'm looking for that. (laughs) But but there, there are times like that in life, right? It was really hard for a while. Maybe when you were growing up, it was really hard. And you look back at that, you say, I don't want to go back to that. I'm glad that I have a different life now, okay? Did you know heaven's going to be like that times one million? Like, I'm so far away from that. Thank God this is just a little while, amen? Secondly, amen? amen? All right, thank you. Secondly, the God you are connected with is the God of all grace. Guys, I got to tell you, I'm just now starting to understand what grace is. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's all that God has poured out on us even though we don't deserve it. Wow. Amen? Are you wowed by that? He's the God of all that. I love it. He adds that all with it. Grace would be fine. He's the God of grace. It says he's the God of all grace. I mean, it's like he just heaps upon heaps upon. Thirdly, he's the same God who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Uh, I'm starting to think I can maybe trust him. Amen? I mean, what else is he going to do? He's done everything. But as you struggle, he wants you to be confident. Here's what he has ahead for you. He says he, God himself, is going to personally make sure, first of all, he's going to fix what is broken in your life. 
That's how that word, my word in the New American Standard here, I don't know what your translation says, but it says, he himself will perfect you. And actually that word can mean mend. It was like mending, like a, a net that was messed up. He, he like fixes that net. Okay, it was wrong. And he, he repairs it. God himself is going to repair what is broken in your life. Isn't that good news? I give you confidence in your struggle. Secondly, he's going to give you a strong place to stand. The New American Standard again says to confirm you. He's going to make you stable. He's going to put you in a firm place. Some of us in this room have never in our lives felt truly secure. Maybe we didn't have a family. Maybe we've never really had a steady job. The finances just never... So you've just always in your life, you've had this sense that I just can't get to a place where I'm standing on a rock. Well, hopefully, now that you've come to Christ, you're sensing that more and more. Because that's what the Bible says. And the Bible says that ultimately, that's what God's going to do for you. He's going to give you a strong place to stand. And then secondly, he says he's going to strengthen you. That basically just means he's going to make you stronger. You're weak right now, he's going to make you stronger. And the last one, he's again, and I think these are all just synonyms. They're all, all basically saying the same thing. Basically, he says in, in the last one, he's going to establish you. Again, that's, he's going to give you a, a solid foundation. I think God's just piling on, saying you're going to be in a good spot. <laughs> okay? At the end of all this, you're going to be all set with God. Even though you're going through hard times, you can have confidence because you're headed to a good place. Now Peter wraps this all up in verse 11. He says, To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's just kind of a, let's just, let's just crank up the band and play for a little bit. This is good news. Amen anybody. That's what Peter's saying, okay? <laughs> Praise God. Let's just, uh, what do y'all call it, Bob? Party at the end? Okay. Well, you know, you know the band sort of just boom, 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 boom. And I'm trying to talk, and they're just like boom, 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 boom. Boom! And then Joe hits the top. You know, I'm like, okay, guys. <laughs> okay, that's, that's party at the end. And that's what Peter does. He says, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Then a couple of just kind of closing remarks. He talks about Silvanus. Uh, that can be translated uh, Silas, our faithful brother. Um, the impression that's given here is that maybe Peter had had someone who was kind of his secretary, who, as Peter was sharing the story, he was writing down, as Peter was dictating, he was writing down, or, at the least, that he was the one that delivered this letter to the people that it was sent to. We're not for sure there. In verses 13 to 14, he, he kind of closed it out. He says, listen, he says, that she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Uh, many people believe what that's saying is it's kind of code language in a persecution kind of environment. He's basically saying the church in Babylon... Many people uh, see that, uh, that the Babylon was a code word for Rome, okay? So Peter was just kind of saying, hey, the people here who love God in Rome along with you and Mark, and many people believe that was John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, they send you greetings. And then in verse 14, he just kind of ends it with greet one another with a kiss of love and peace. That's a great thing to share with people who are struggling. Peace be to all of you who are in Christ. I want to ask you as we sort of wrap up Peter's letter and his message. If you've been here from the beginning, you've been through a lot. You've heard a lot of messages about how life is difficult and how God gives us hope in the midst of that. And you know what? Many of you have responded to that. God has spoken to your heart. You've received something. You've made a decision. You've accepted some direction for him or some promise from him. Praise God. And you know what? As we kind of wrap up this letter... 
you know, you can just kind of say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for how you've been working in my heart. Thank you for using this letter. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for his ministry. Thank you for putting this on his heart. Thank you for leading him to include this in your word. But you know what? Some of us, maybe God's been speaking to us and we've been waiting. And we've been waiting. And we've been waiting. I just want to share with you, starting next week, we're not going to be in this series anymore. We're not going to be talking about 1 Peter. I don't know when we'll be back to that. So I just wonder if God would want to, right before we move beyond this, just to say, hey, let's be still for just a second. Is there something I've been saying to you that you've been putting off? Before we move on, you need to do something about that. Maybe tonight's your first night here. Maybe it's the first time you've heard this series of messages, but God has spoken to you. Whatever the situation, if God is speaking to your heart tonight, the Bible says now is a great, great time to respond to the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. This is the best time. When God is speaking to your heart, when he has your attention, I wonder what he's saying to you tonight. I want to pray with you for just a moment. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? It's very difficult to talk about hardship and trials and problems because I have no clue what each individual person, precious person, that Jesus, that God created. And you're sitting here right now today. And even though we're finishing this study on First Peter, your life is still in pain. Would you just come to him tonight? Would you ask him to help you? Would you ask him to trust for you to help you trust him? Maybe you're here tonight and you have not received his gift, his offer, to be reconciled with your creator. But tonight, you, like many before you here in this place, have given their life to Jesus Christ. Maybe tonight you would just say, Lord Jesus, I know I need you. And I thank you for this incredible offer that you have made. I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for showing your victory over what would have destroyed me. <clears throat> and I receive your grace and your gift tonight. And I turn away from living life my way, and I want to trust in you and follow your ways. Thank you for saving me. <clears throat> Maybe there's some other decision you need to make tonight. We're going to give you that opportunity here in just a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who speaks to our hearts and affirms that this is true, this is from God. I pray that you would just give us all the courage to respond to whatever it is you're saying tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, if God is speaking to your heart, we have a time at the end of our service we call an invitation. And that's exactly what it is. We just invite you to consider what is God saying to you. And maybe it is a culmination of a whole series of messages. Maybe you heard something three weeks ago, a month ago, six weeks ago and, and God's wanting you to kind of wrap that up tonight maybe it's, it's something he spoke to you about tonight you can talk to him on your own you can just stand in your seat or stay seated or kneel down by your chair and pray or if you need to come down front you can pray here nobody will bother you if you want to speak to someone I'm going to be available we just want to be God's servants to encourage and help one another tonight amen
Maybe you just say, you know, I've been through this whole series, but I'm still struggling, Pastor Robbie. Would you just pray for me? Absolutely. You know that verse I just read? I've really used that a lot in my own life and working with other people over the last several years. There's a lot to that. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Talked with a couple of people last week that were ashamed to be so broken and in such a bad place. I said, you know, God is not crushing people in your situation. He's looking for brokenness. So you can know God gives grace to people in your position where you're seeing yourself. The only thing we should be concerned about is if we say, I don't need God, I can do it on my own. Now that's, that's, that's a problem. But tonight, it's okay to come broken. In fact, I think that might be the only way to come.